ask your neighbor, are you religious? <laughs> what is their answer? Eh? They said no. What did they say the answer is? What you, how many of you say yes? Raise your hand, let me see. Are you religious? Raise your hand, let me see. Okay, you are not religious. Raise your hand, let me see. Oh, that's what you think, right? Because, you know, the problem is that um, we've so confused what religion is in our generation. People think that when, uh, for instance, you are all suited up with suits, then you are the religious guy. Or, you know, some people feel like, well, as long as I'm not wearing a um, long skirt that's sweeping the ground, then that makes me not a religious person. Religion has nothing to do with your dressing. All those things are byproducts of religion. I hear I'm telling you, somebody can be looking like a rascal, but he's a very religious person. And somebody can be looking so tight up, do you understand? And the person is not religious at all. I hear I'm telling you. So when you make up or not when you make up, doing your hair or not doing your hair has nothing to do with being a religious person. Can I get an amen to that? Can I get an amen to that? Because when it comes to religion, it's about your heart. You know, God looks at your heart. God deals with the things that are inside you. Not all these fairy pharaohs that you're looking on the outside. Whether you wear shoe or you don't wear shoe does not make you a religious person. Yeah, thank you. Glory to God. So what is religion? What is religion? Religion can be defined as a man's attempt to impress God through self-improvement. That's what religion is. Religion can be defined as a man's attempt to impress God through self-improvement. So religion is an attitude that says, I can make something of myself. I can earn God's favor. Anytime you are trying to earn the favor of God or you are trying to, you know, to do something so that God can favor you or so that God can bless you is the man that is a religious person. Because anytime you are tempted to get God's attention, you're trying to get God's favor, you're trying God to look in your direction, that is religion. I said that is religion. So the, this mindset is opposed to the grace of God. Because the grace of God is purely unmerited, unearned, undeserved. So if you deserve it, if you earn it, are you seeing that? If you earn it, deserve it, that is religion. That is religion. Whatever I'm trying to do for God to look at my, my direction. I'm trying to do something for God to get my attention. That's religion. Praise the Lord. Religion causes a man to stand when he's supposed to bow. Religion causes a man to stand when he's supposed to kneel. You know, some people, their, their, their status in life have made them a statue when they come to the Lord's presence. Do you understand? For instance, the pastor, the minister says, lift up your hands to the Lord. Some people, 30 seconds, the ass is down. And, and what does the Bible tell us? Paul said that I wish that men would lift up holy hands. God wants your hands lifted up as much as you can. Remember, remember Moses. What about Moses? God only told Moses, in fact, God didn't even tell him. Moses, Moses just lifted his hands, just like that. And something was happening in the realm of the spirit. Physically, they were winning the battle. When his hand dropped, the Israelites started to attack them. Glory to God. I said, glory to God. But guess what? So two men came to help Moses because Moses was an old man. 
they lifted up his hand for a long time and victory was sure. Glory to God. Tell your neighbor, learn to lift your hands in worship. Tell them, learn to lift your hands in prayer. You know, if, if you are praying and you are walking, learn to lift your hands when you are praying. You see, anytime you see me, if you say time for prayer, my hands are like this. Time for worship, my hands are like this. Because that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the training that the word of God gives to us. Not that you, you do like this. Oh, the words you speak, don't things around. You are joking. You are joking. You are joking. The way it was to be like this. The words you speak, turns things around. Are you seeing that? Because it's, it's from your spirit to heaven. So you are just like this. <laughs> Glory to God. So learn, practice it, practice it. Somebody say, but pastor, if I live my life, my hands get tired. The reason is because you don't practice. That's why. You know, for instance, if you have never carried one kg before, and you now say today I want to carry 20 kg, what will happen to you that day? You will faint. If then at one 30 seconds. But if you have been doing it for a period of time, what happens to you? 20 kg will be like indomie. Glory to God. So, so religion, religion will cause a man to stand when he's supposed to bow. Are you seeing that? And what's of it all? Religion now makes a man to see himself as a co-savior with Jesus Christ. That's what religion can do to you. And his motives may be sincere. Your motives may be sincere. May be okay. But that is what is called idol worshipping. It is all put in that when they say, when God says don't worship an idol, they think it's when they have one calf in their house. Or in their bedroom. And then they are buying that every day. No! You can even make money your idol. If all you are doing in this life is how to get money. All they are doing, you are an idol worshipper. Some people are worshipping their phones. Your phone has become an idol. The day your phone, your phone is not working. If I say your life is gone. You have started worshipping phone. For instance, some of you, God cannot tell you, give away your phone. Give somebody your phone. <laughs> That's like... You are giving your life away. Like you are good. You are living this earth. You are, you are worshipping your phone. Hmm? Whatever. Whatever. Listen. Because you got to understand that. Whatever we have. Bible says it comes from the father of light. Are you seeing that? So it's God that gave it to me. God give me this phone. God give me these glasses. Do you understand? So if the owner asks me. Give away this thing. And I'm questioning it. I'm saying no, no, no. I'm fighting it. I'm struggling then that thing that you cannot give away is an idol. And this is because of religion. Because you don't understand that what you've got was by God's grace and God's favor. Because you think it's by your own strength and power that you got it. That's why you're struggling to let it go. Are you seeing that? Brothers and sisters, tell your neighbor, Jesus didn't die and suffer on the cross to make you religious. Tell them he died and rose to give you a new life. Now tell yourself, Jesus didn't die for me and suffer for me to make me a religious person. Say so he died to make to give me a new life. His life. Say his life. Say I have the life of Jesus. Read your right hand and say I have the life of Jesus. So that's the life that Christ gave you. He didn't come to give you religion. Jesus didn't come to give you religion at all. He came to give you life. Jesus said that the Son of Man may give life and life eternal. That's what he came to do. So anything that pretends to be a substitute of thrill to knowing Jesus or trusting Jesus or being with Jesus or walking with Jesus should be rejected as inferior. 
So let's do a simple test. Are you ready for exam this morning? Are you religious? Some of you said yes, some of you said no, right? Or you have a question? Let's start. We cannot see this first thing. All right, oh, you guys can see it. What's the first question there? Come and put it on the screen. All right, simple test. I always try to do the right things. Raise your hand. True or false? If it's true, raise your hand now. I always try to do the right things. Lift it above your head. Let me see it very well. Good. Okay. I always try to do the right things. False. Lift your hand. Let me see. False. Any other person again? False. Now, those of you that are in between, that did not raise your hand at all, where are you? You are in between true and false. 50%. You are a suspect. You want it even worse. Okay. <laughs> because let us know where you are, whether you are hot or you are cold. Oh, yeah. I act as if God is keeping score. Lift your hand. You will live your life as though God is keeping scores with you. Good. If it's false, lift your hand. Let me see. You okay? Good. Okay. I often think about my sins. Lift your hand. Let me see. If you're always thinking about your sins, lift your hand above your head. Let me see. Nice to see you, Joseph. Lift your hand. Let me see. All right. Now, I don't, wait. I don't often think about my sins. Lift your hand. Let me see. <laughs> All right. Next, next question. Next one. I am motivated by sense of duty to God. Lift your hands. If it's true, lift your hands. All right. If it's false, lift your hands. All right. I live in a holy fear of God's anger. If you live that way, lift your hand. Let me see. Lift it. Lift it above your head. Good. Okay. If it's false, lift your hand. Let me see. <laughs> so you guys don't fear God's anger. <laughs> oh dear Lord. <laughs> next, next question. Is that all? Okay. I like doing things for God. Lift your hands. If that's true for you, lift your hands. Okay. If it's false, lift your hands. Okay. I see myself primarily as a servant of God. If that is you, lift your hand. Let me see. All the servants of God, lift your hands. All right. If it's false, lift your hands. You don't see yourself as servant of God. Okay, so those of you that are not seeing yourself as servant, what are you seeing yourself as? As a son. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Now, how many of you answered all your questions were false? Lift your hand. Let me see. You? Stand up if all your answers were false. Lift your hand. Let me see. If all your answers were false. One, two, three, four. Stand up now. Yeah, I want to see the two legs up. If you can't walk, we heal your legs. Okay, four. Okay, sit down. Okay, if you know you you answer true, stand up. Any of any of the answers you you raise your hand as true, stand up. Let me see you. If any of your answers was true, stand up. So, pastor, come out. You come. Do percentage four. Let's count the people that stand. Because people are in between. They didn't stand up at all. They're in between us. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, hold on. Just give me like rough estimate. How many percent? About 97 percent. About 97 percent, eh? About what? All right. So now, listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. You may sit down now. Sit down gloriously. Now, here's the point. If your answer was true, you're a religious person. You know? Good. So that's what we're going to deal with now this morning. Because Jesus didn't die to make you religious. 
You're saying, wow. So now, now you can see that religion has nothing to do with all these things that we call religious. The, all the things that you are thinking. You know, for instance, you like see now, you see us who are nicely dressed, looking all kitted up, but you are seeing a religious person. And then you'll be looking at, Jesus said that you have not removed the log of wood in your eye. You are looking at somebody's other's broom, broom's broomstick. You are calling other people, this person is religious, person is religious, person is religious, but you are the one that is very religious. You, don't, you never knew. Okay, now let's start with the first question. First question. Let's start from there. Are you preoccupied with doing the right things? Now, brothers and sisters, say it together with me. Say, God is looking for relationships. Say it again. God is looking for relationship. But a religious mindset is preoccupied with following the rules. Just, you know, the rules is like, God, just tell me what to do. I will do it. Like children of Israel in Mount Sinai. So they are religious people. They always want God to give them rules. Thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. Don't do this. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't do this, you'll be cursed. That is what people want. And if you are preoccupied with doing these kind of things, you are religious. Because whether you define the right things as Ten Commandments, whether you define it as the words of Jesus, whether you define it as church tradition, whether you define it as whatever, living by a code of conduct when it comes to God is infinitely inferior to the life that Christ wants us to live through our lives. Glory to God. When you are living by rules, rules and regulations, you are eating from the wrong tree. Remember Adam? God told Adam, he said, don't eat from the knowledge of the tree of what? Good and evil. It, of the knowledge of right and wrong. Notice, God never wanted man to live by a set of rules, by a set of regulations, by, by a set of laws. That's why he told Adam, he said, don't ever eat from this tree. There's a tree of life that was there. Why didn't Adam eat from the tree of life? Why? Why did he eat from the tree of rules and regulations? Because that's what man always wants. Man would say, God, just tell me. Do you remember the children of Israel? When Moses went to Egypt to deliver them, they did not have any rules. Do you remember that? Listen very carefully. God, by his faithfulness, brought them out of Egypt from their suffering. After they cried to him, by his faithfulness, he led them through the Red Sea. Huh? After they left the Red Sea, you know what they told Moses? He said, Moses, why do you bring us here to die? He says, even in Egypt, we're eating onions, potatoes, and what again? And vegetables, and cucumber. Let us go back to that place. Say, this, this place is not only eating uh, meat and meat. I was tired of meat. And when they got to Mount Sinai, you know what they told God? They told, they, they told Moses, go and tell God. Anything he tells us to do, we will do it. God said, to Moses, said, no problem, I will deliver your message. But he said, God, these people said that, just give them rules. He said, they will do whatever I tell God said, eh, they will do it. But said, God spoke, thou shall not make any graven image before me. God started to give them ten commandments. Guess what? Day one. Everybody said day one. Three thousand people died on the first day of rules and regulations. The first day. But these are the people that were, we will do it. God just tell us we will do it. We will do it. And first day, three thousand. Pooh. But guess what? The day the spirit came. Hallelujah. In the book of Acts, three thousand were saved on one day. Hallelujah. Letting you know that the Lord killed it, but the Spirit gives life. Oh, you didn't hear that. Hallelujah, somebody. Jam your hands together for the Lord Jesus. Are you seeing that? 
So an independent spirit, such as Adam, you know, he wants to decide for himself. He prefers rules to relationships. But someone under grace will say, Father, I trust you from start to finish. You will lead me in the way of life. Reach your right hand and say, Jesus, say, I trust you from start to finish of my life. Say, Jesus, I trust that you will lead me in this way of life. That's the life of Christ that we have today. Glory to God. I said, glory to God. So you either choose, tell your neighbor, you choose either rules or relationship. Tell your neighbor, you either choose rules or relationship. <laughs> you cannot reduce relationship to a set of rules. If you think I'm joking, try it in your marriage and see what you come up with. Just imagine them. Eh? You are dating somebody. You say, see, in this relationship, this is our rules. Rule one, thou shall not, not call me by 6 p.m. Rule two, thou shall not, not come to the house by later 7 p.m. Rule C, thou shall ensure that when you are sleeping, don't snore. Rule, rule D, thou, thou shall ensure that when you come to this house, ensure, especially for the guys, ensure all your clothes are wrapped properly. Your shoes are not coming to this house with dirt inside the house. Not rule C. Ensure that every time, every moment, food is available in the kitchen 24-7. If you break any of this, marriage will end. Try it and see. After one week. It, after one day. Day one. <laughs> so, if you live by the rules... You are setting up yourself for failure. Look at Romans chapter 7 verse 9. Because this is what rules stimulate. Look at what the Bible says from TPT. It says, I once lived without a clear understanding of the law. But when I heard God's command, what happened next? Sin sprang to life and brought it with a death. Next. With a death sentence. The commandment that was intended, listen very carefully, the Ten Commandments that was intended to bring life brought me death instead. Look at your Bible. Next verse. Look at it. Next. Okay, that's all. Look at it. So, people thought that when God gives commandment, the commandment will give life. But I said, no, it brought, Paul said it brought death. He says, in fact, it was when the Lord came that I even knew I was doing something wrong. Are you seeing that? So sin sprang up in me when the law came. Glory to God. I said glory to God. So any kind of law will stimulate sin and lead you to, de to, to, to defeat. That means to death. Even when you are doing the right thing, it will still be wrong because you'll be walking in the flesh and not walking by faith. And remember, the Bible says that anything that is not of faith is sin. Do you hear what I say? So sin is not what you think sin is. Sin is whatever you did not do by trusting God. Whatever you do in your life that you achieve by your own, by your own, by your own strength is sin before God. Because it is not of faith. That's what Jesus said. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So sin is on a higher level. Not all these um, things that you think, lying, stealing. No, they are more than that. For instance, for instance, let me, let me explain to you. If I did a project without putting my faith in Jesus to accomplish that project, to God, it is sin. Are you hear what I'm telling you? That is sin. So, and sin is not what man says is sin. Sin is what God says is sin. And the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. So, you either walk by the flesh or you walk by the spirit. 
You either walk by the flesh or you walk by the spirit. If you are preaching in the flesh, it is sin against God. If you are preaching by faith, it is glory towards God. It is grace towards God. Why? Because any man that walks by faith is only seeing Christ, what he has done. And seeing what he has done for him, he believes and trusts the Lord Jesus that he will accomplish what his word has said. Hallelujah, somebody. If, you are tr if your health is, 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 is on the foundation of medicine, on doctors, or whatever thing on the internet, then you are on a faulty foundation. But if your health is on the sure foundation of Christ, are you seeing that? Then you are walking by faith, not by the flesh. Glory to God. I said glory to God. I said glory to his name forever. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. So even when you are doing the right thing, so you can see that you either choose to abide in Christ or you'll find yourself doing the right thing at the right time every time. When you abide in Christ, he will propel you from the inside. He will guide you into all truth. He will ensure you don't fall by the wayside if you put your faith in Christ. Glory to God. Do you realize that sometimes, for instance, eh, somebody comes to you. This, this is why you have to walk by the Spirit, not, not by the flesh. Somebody comes to you now eh, and lies to you that he needs 20,000 naira. Everything he's telling you is a lie. But because of your compassionate hearts, you're a kind person. You'll give that person the 20,000. Then the person say, oh, I just deceived this guy. You know why he deceived you? Because you walked by the flesh. You didn't walk by the spirit. And you didn't understand that the money that you have belongs to God. So God really the one to tell you how to distribute the money. Are you seeing that? So somebody came to you with lies. You can tell by the spirit that it's a lie. And you will not attend to that person. And then when the genuine one comes, you will know by the Spirit. And you will help that one and God will be praised for what you have done for that person. Are you seeing that? For instance, if you didn't walk by the Spirit and you made the prodigal son, imagine you knew the prodigal son. You know his father. Are you seeing that? And then you saw the boy, the boy that you knew that was a prince. Now he's eating pig's food. And you saw him. What will you do? You want to help him and help him. But guess what? If you will help him, you have destructed, you have scattered the plan of God for that boy's life. In your human kindness, you have walked by the flesh, not by the spirit. Because by the spirit, God wanted him to go through that process. So that when he comes out of it, he will be blessed. And he will be greater than what he was before. Are you seeing that? So it's important to tell your neighbor, walk by the spirit. So if somebody comes to you and asks you for help, speak in tongues. Because you need information from the spirit. You think it's a joke? Speak in tongues. You are about to make a decision about whatever it is. Whether it's a business decision, whether it's a partnership Pray about it. Talk to the Lord about it. And receive the counsel of God. If the Lord says, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Praise God. You know some people too, they are, they are very funny. <laughs> Somebody say, I dressed up to church this morning. And the spirit said, don't go to church. Which spirit is that one? Which, which Holy Spirit told not to go to church? Or, or one say that, as I was praying, as I was praying, the, the spirit said, move on. So I left the church and I moved on. No, what the spirit said was move on, means continue what you are doing. That's what he's saying, but wrong interpretation. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> oh my God. There are things I've not heard. Things I've not heard before. How can the Holy Spirit tell you? Look, because remember, the Holy Spirit is always consistent with scripture. Are you seeing that? The Holy Spirit will not tell you to lie. You can't tell you that kind of thing because it's not consistent with scripture. So, it's going to, so whatever you are hearing that is not consistent with the word of God, you can trash it into the dustbin. I'm telling you. Even if I tell you something that is not from scripture, trash it into the dustbin. That's why Paul said, even if an angel from heaven come and tell you any other gospel from this gospel, he said, let that person be accursed. Double curse. 
Even if angel Gabriel came to your house and say, the Lord said from the throne of Greece that thou should not go to church anymore. Say, angel, go back to where you are coming from. Because what you are saying is not consistent with the scripture. Because the scripture says that we should not forsake the garden of ourselves together. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Alright. Number two. Do you act as if God is keeping score? Ask your neighbor, do you act as if God is keeping score? <laughs> because a performance mentality is central to every man-made religion. Mammy religion is do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. The problem with this is that your best is never good enough. So, for instance, now you're studying the Bible. The devil tells you, you're not doing very well. It's not good enough. Because you know that brother that is doing 10 hours. You're only doing 30 minutes. Then the guy that is doing 10 hours, the devil tells him, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You can know somebody that is doing 15 hours. Then the one that do you are not you are not good enough, not good enough because another guy is doing one day, 24 hours. Huh? The one that do say you are not good enough, you are not good enough. The one guy that is doing one week, dry Bible study. So you continue an endless treadmill. You know what treadmill is? You just keep moving, you're not making progress. And also in one place. Many people are treadmill in the spirit in their lives. Just making movement, but no progress. Hallelujah. So, the religious mindset will lead you to performance anxiety. And God expects perfection and nothing less than perfection. That is God's standard. It is either perfect or nothing with God. So, you are going to either them deliver perfect performance or you must put your faith in the perfect high priest. Hallelujah. So, there are the two options. If you are going to say, God, I'm going to do my own based on your rules and regulations, then don't fault in one. Because James said, if you fault in one, you fault in all. Do you understand? Maybe you don't know. Do you know that, according to the law of Moses, you cannot wear um, cotton and silk together. If you do that, it's a sin. Okay, maybe that not make sense. If you're a man, the law says don't shave your beard. Eh? Me, I shaved yesterday. If you shave your beard, you're a sinner before God. I'm serious. The law says, thou shalt not eat pig. How many of you eat pig? <laughs> oh boy. There are so much. Hallelujah. So just imagine say, how can God keep this kind of sweet meat away from us? Thou should not eat it. Are you seeing that? The law, the law even says that when you want to use the toilet, eh, you have to face the west. So some of you, your toilet is facing north. Some of you, your toilet is even facing northeast. You don't even know, you don't even know where it's even facing. You just enter the toilet. God said you're a sinner. That I'm telling according to the law of Moses. The law of Moses had more than 630 laws. And the, the Bible says if you're breaking one, you're breaking all. Are you seeing that? So that means the same punishment for an adulterer or a fornicator is the same punishment for the person that his toilet did not face the right direction. All of them, death and hell, hell fire. See, that, that is God's standard. It is either perfect performance or nothing. 
So you are going to either put your faith in your perfect performance or you put your faith in the perfect high priest who has taken your place. Hallelujah, somebody. So, so, so I am not keeping scores with God because all the scores has been kept with Christ, my high priest. Glory to God. Next question. Are you sin conscious? Are you sin conscious? You know what sin consciousness is? Sin consciousness is the strongest indicator of a religious mindset. Because Jesus has offered a one-time sacrifice. Everybody say one-time sacrifice. That, has, that is done away with sin. Say it. So Jesus offered a one-time sacrifice that has cleared every sin on planet earth. That's why, you know, sometimes, you know, we like to thank Jesus. I say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. But yesterday night, you know, I was just the Lord and I said, wow. Before you even talk about thanking Jesus, thank the Father. Because it was the Father that sent Jesus to die for you. Are you seeing that? It was the Father's initiative. He said, Bible says, for God so loved the world, not Jesus so loved the world. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So it was the father that loved me so much that he gave his son to die for me. So say, Father, thank you for sending your son to die for me. Because God was the one that loved you. Glory to God. And that's why Jesus said that in these last days, when you are praying to the father, he said, you don't need to pray to me. I don't need to pray through me. He says, talk to the father by yourself in my name. He said, why? He said, because the father loves you. The Father loves you. Tell the Father loves me deeply. So you can talk to God directly by yourself. Talk to the Father. Say, Father, thank you. You see, talk to him in, in the Son's name. That's what the Bible tells us. We'll talk about that when we're talking about prayer. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Look at this from verse 1, actually. It says, you are my dear children, and I write these things to you so that you won't sin. Are you seeing that? It says, but if anyone does sin, what should happen? We continually have a what? A forgiving redeemer who is face to face with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Next verse. He says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of where? Of, of, of Jimeta? Of the whole world. So Jesus did not die for Christians. He died for the whole world. Glory to God. It doesn't matter what you think about any human being on planet Earth. How wicked they are, Jesus died for their sins. Bible says that God is not counting the world against them. He says, but he has died for the sins of the whole world. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26. Look at the Bible. He says, under the old system, year after year, the high priest entered the most holy sanctuary with blood that was not his own. That's the blood of bulls and goats. But the Messiah, but the Messiah did not need to repeatedly offer himself year after year. Why? Next. For that would mean he must suffer repeatedly even since the fall of the, of the world. He says, but now he has appeared at the fulfillment of the ages to abolish sin once and for all. By the sacrifice of himself. So Jesus' offering of sin has abolished sin once and for all. Jesus again will never die for sin. There is no sin that was not covered in the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you how far this thing went. How many of you were on the cross when Jesus died for your sin? You were there. You saw him when he died. Anybody? <laughs> you were not even born. So guess what? That means 
that when Jesus died for your sins, all your sins were future. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Because God is eternal. He does not live in the realm of time and space. He lives in eternity. He is the Alpha and the Omega. How many of you know what is Alpha? You know what Alpha is? Alpha is Greek. Which, in the, which is A. So it's the A and Z. So that means before letter A, God is there. So what is God's letter? Bef after letter Z, God is there. So he's in the beginning. He's also at the end. At the same time. So when Jesus died for your sin, God saw you in his blood. God saw your grandchildren in his blood. Your great grandchildren in his blood. So when God was beating his son Jesus for your sin, he was also dying for the sin of your papa and mama and grandpapa and great grandchildren. Glory to God. So there's no sin that was not covered. Because if you say that there's one kind of sin that is not covered, then that means what you're saying is that Jesus will have to come and die again. That's what you're saying. And that means his blood was a waste. Not, my, not the blood of Jesus. Not his blood. His blood is so powerful. Hallelujah. So, sin was a problem. Everybody says sin was a problem. In the old covenant, sin separated God from human beings. So, human beings and God were far apart. That is why Jesus had to die. To clean, to repair that issue. So, when he came, he abolished sin once and for all. By the sacrifice of himself. That's what he did for you. Glory to God. So that now, there will no longer be the problem of sin. Because Jesus, because of Jesus, sin is no longer a problem with the Father. Glory to God. So question is, so what then is the problem? The problem is whether we choose to believe in an all-sufficiency, in the all-sufficiency of Christ and his work, or trust in yourself and your works. That's where the problem is today. Religion will keep the focus on you and your worthiness and your unworthiness. So religion will keep the focus on you and your unworthiness. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I can never do this. I can never achieve this. It's always about you, 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 you. But when it comes to Christ, grace focuses on Christ and Christ's worthiness. Because Christ is worthy, I am worthy before the Father. Why? As he is, so am I in this world. Glory to God. Are you seeing that? So, when you're coming to God in prayer, you are not coming with timidity. You can square your shoulders tall. You can chest out. And when you come to the Father's presence, you don't come with any sense of condemnation, with any sense of guilt. Not at all. Why? Because Jesus is not guilty before the Father. Therefore, I'm not. God treats you the same way he treats Jesus. The same way. So you want to know how God will treat you? Look at how God will treat his son. The more you know how the father takes his son seriously, that's how the father takes you seriously. Glory to God. Oh, I'm, I love the gospel. Next question. Are you motivated by your Christian duty? <laughs> religions, you know, it's your religion says, religion says, Jesus died for you. So what are I going to do for him? Jesus died for you. What are I going to do for him? So, <laughs> brothers and sisters, I will do anything for Jesus. Are you seeing that? But if your motivation is perceived as a debt, then there's a problem with that motivation. Because God cares about your motives. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? God cares about your notice. 
And if you're if you're if you're motivated by debt, if if you're motivated by oh God, I want God to owe me, I want God to owe me. God owes me. I don't want to say God owes me. God owes me. After all I've done for God, God owes me. You know, for instance, I remember one time there was a woman. She has been so faithful in the house of God, so faithful in the house of God, and she was wondering why this problem in her life has not changed. Then this brother who just walked in the church the first day, who was a wayward guy anyway, received Christ into his life, was transformed. And the problem she has been struggling with for 15 years, the guy in the same church, the same church, the guy received his answer in less than one day. So she said, God must be partial. How is it that this guy, who is a wayward sinner, terrible guy, from day number one, God favored him, and she, she has been there for a long time because many don't understand that there's a difference between faith and faithfulness. Are you seeing that? Faithfulness has its own rewards. But there are some things you can never get by faithfulness. It's only gotten by faith. For instance, you cannot be so faithful in the house of God and receive salvation. Salvation does not come by faithfulness. Are you seeing that? It doesn't come by faithfulness. It comes by faith, putting your faith in what Christ has done. Are you seeing that? Healing doesn't come by faithfulness. It comes by faith. Are you seeing that? Everything that Christ paid for in his blood is received by faith only, not by faithfulness. Hello, somebody. I said hello, somebody. So religion says, Jesus died for you. What are I going to do for Jesus? What are I going to do for him? Whether he's disguised as a sense of duty or responsibility, a religious person fundamentally believes that he is obligated and indebted to God. Such a person wants to walk, walk so that God will start to owe him something. They want God to owe them something. They want to be the person that if God wants to bless anybody, it should be them. <laughs> no. A dead consciousness is opposed to the grace of God. A dead consciousness is opposed to the grace of God. Because grace comes with no strings attached. Hallelujah. The love of God comes with no strings attached. God's love is not, don't worry, I will love you to your next sin. That's not God. God's love is unconditional. Are you afraid I'm telling you? Because to God, there's no other love than unconditional love. God does not have conditional love. He's only unconditional love. His love has no strings attached. You know, some people, their love has strings attached. Do you understand? They are giving you this gift because they want something in return from you. But the gift of God has no strings attached. Glory to God. I said glory to God. So the love-based so love relationship we have with the Father is so clean. And God expects that we serve Him out of love, out of delight, not out of a sense of debt or obligation. No. When we're serving the Lord, it should be, wow! It should be with excitement, with delight. You understand? It's, it's, it's how a child does things for his mother. He does it out of delight, not because he's under some sense of duty. No. In Christ, say I'm a delighted person. Say I'm happy before the Father. So we do things with happiness to God. Glory to God. Now the next one, do you fear God's anger? Do you fear God's anger? Actually, but do you fear God's anger? 
you know, when you when you listen to a man-made religion, they get they they give you the impression that God is temperamental and God is an abusive father. You know, and God lashes you anytime he wants to lash you. And then they now paint Jesus to us as the go-between, between us and God. They say, Jesus, you know, you know, you are the one that likes us very well. Talk to God on our behalf. That's why, that's why many people pray through Jesus. Because they believe that Jesus and the Father are very close. So, you know, you know this elder brother that is trying to defend you. I know your abusive father is very angry. He knows how to relate and, and settle the matter. That's what many people think about the father. <laughs> Forgetting that it was the father that sent Jesus to die for you. <laughs> Glory to God. Jesus And Jesus said, you don't need me as a go-between anymore. Sin problem has been removed. Now you can assess the father by yourself. That's what Jesus said. So you don't have to talk to me anymore. He said, in the last days, you will not talk to me about anything. He says, but you will pray to the father in my name and he will answer you. And he said, because the father loves you. He said, the father loves me. Say it again. Say the Father loves me. Glory to God. So, the truth is that God the Father and God the Son are perfectly united in purpose and in character when it comes to God the Father. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 3. Let me show you something. What the Bible says about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 3. Look at it. It says the sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. The exact expression of God's true nature. So if you want to know how God truly is, look at his son. He says he mirrors God's image. He all holds the universe together. Wow. And expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the, com oh boy. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. Can you shout amen somebody? Look at Isaiah 54 from verse 9. How could God get angry with us when he has promised he will never again be angry? Look at it. Um, I said Isaiah chapter 54. Let's start from verse 9. Isaiah 54 from verse 9. Isaiah 54 from verse Are you there now? Isaiah 54 verse 9. If you have it your Bible, let's read. Okay, I'll start from verse 9. Isaiah 54 verse 9. Look at this. It says, this exile is just like the days of Noah to me. Now this is the prophet speaking now. He says, I promised then that the waters of Noah would never again flood the earth. Everybody read the next line. I want to go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hold on. Give me NIV. NIV is better in this, in this chapter. Let's look at NIV. Let me show you something. Let's move fast quickly. 
Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 54 from verse 9. NIV. Um, I'll read the, the King James Bible. Oh no, New King James. New King James will be better. Okay. Drop down to verse. Everybody read this one. One to go. Uh huh. Hey, 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 hey. Hold on. I don't know. I don't know whether we're reading the same Bible. What's the meaning of swan? I swear. Now God is the one swearing. And the Bible says that when you want to swear, you swear by somebody that is greater than you. So you swear by your. So I swear to God. Are you, are you getting the point? She swear to somebody that is greater than you. So when God wants to swear, who will he swear to? He will swear to himself because he's the greatest. Now God is swearing that he says in this day and dispensation. What did he say? He says, I have sworn not to be angry with you and never to rebuke you again. Next verse. Look at it. Now let me, let me explain to you the extent of this statement. Verse 10. He says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed. How many of you have seen the mountains shaken before? Wave your hand. You saw a blast. How many of you have seen hills removed? Hey, come on. Have you ever seen a hill removed? You know, I've heard of they, they blast rocks. They blast hills. But to remove, <laughs> you just go and remove it. Have you seen it before? Now, See, God is trying to tell you the extent of his statement. He says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, he says, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken. No, my covenant of peace be removed. So God is saying that his covenant of peace will never be removed. I, I expect you to be shouting. But you are, maybe, maybe what I said is, it doesn't mean so much to, to, to you like it means to me. Maybe. Hallelujah. God says, my kindness will never be shaken. Never. My covenant of peace will never be removed. He says, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Say, God has compassion on me. Say it again. Say, God has compassion on me. So at great personal cost, so it cost the father and his son that they made this eternal and unshakable covenant of peace. And today, we are beneficiaries of this covenant. Glory to God. I said glory to God. I said glory to God. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18. Let's look at this one. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18. Everybody read one to go. Uh-huh. Do you see that? Next. Far from our heart. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So if you are afraid that God is going to punish you, it says you have not reached love's perfection because the perfect love of God will remove fear. Have you seen that? So when there's no fear, it means you can be bold in God's presence. You can be bold in God's presence. And you can also be bold in the presence of Satan. Because perfect love casts out fear. When you come to know the love of the Father, when you come to know the perfect love of God, it says... Do you like doing things for God? Next question. Do you like doing things for God? John chapter 6 verse 29. You know, contrary to what religion has told you, 
We are called to, to, to somebody say, we are called to work for God. No, we are not called to work for God. We are called to do the work of God. And there are two different things, what I just said. Big difference. Let's look at what the Bible says. So what is the work of God? What is the work of God? Because working for God means that you are the one initiating. Doing the work of God means that he is the one initiating. Now what is the work of God? John chapter 6 verse 29. Because the Bible also lets us know the difference between um, dead works and good works. So dead works are those that seem right to you, but they lead to death. Are you seeing that? So uh, John chapter 6 verse 29. Um, and 20, okay, let's start from here. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you, <laughs> or because you ate the loaves and had you feud. So people, today, people are looking for God because of what they are eating, not because of what, is, what, what God means to them. Just look at it. Jesus said that the reason why you are looking for me is not because, it's not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and you are already full with the food I give you. Remember they throw out the 5,000 or 7,000 feeding? Jesus said that why they are, they are falling because of food. <laughs> Glory to God. Next. 20, 27. 27. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For, for, for on him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval that the food I'm giving you now is the food that endures to eternal life. Glory to God. <laughs> Next verse, 28. Then they asked me, now look at this question. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God require? Uh-huh. Next question. Look at the answer, 29. Everybody read one to go. What is the work of God? Go ahead. Hey, read it again. What is the work of God? What is the work of God? What is the work of God? So, putting your faith in Jesus is the work of God. I will explain. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ephesians 2 10. I will explain to you this, this, this work of God. Ephesians 2 10. He says, we have become... Oh, we have become his poetry. A recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each one of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Say, I'm fulfilling destiny in the name of Jesus. Say, I'm God's poetry. <laughs> Love poetry. Glory to God. Now, look at um, Matthew chapter 10 verse 8. Let me show you something. Then I'll explain to you the work of God. So, what are the works of God? What are the works of God? Because the work of God, you see... If you can do something by your own resources, that is dead works before God. Hello? So what is the work of God? He says, you must continually bring healing to lepers and to those who are sick and make it your habit to break off the demonic presence from people. Are you seeing that? And come on, drop down for me now. Matthew 10, 8. The next part. Let me open my Bible here. 
and raise the dead back to life. He says, freely you have received the power of the kingdom. So freely release it to others. So the work of God is this. The work of God are works that you cannot do by your own power. Are you seeing that? There are things that you can only do by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. He says, these are the work of God. Are you seeing that? Whatever you can do by your own strength is not the work of God. Hello? I said hello. <laughs> hey. Because religious minds will always tell you, don't worry, you can do it, you can do it. No. Look at it. John chapter 5 verse 19. And Jesus is our role model. Remember Jesus Christ, he lived his life, you know, with full and fruitful life in response to what the Father was doing. He says that that I see the Father doing for the Son of Man does the same works that his Father is doing. So Jesus always does the same thing that his Father is doing. Now, the last one. Do you see, actually, but do you see yourself mainly as a servant of God? Come on, talk this morning. Actually, but do you see yourself mainly as a servant of God? <laughs> because here is the question that separates the religious from the righteous. Do you see God as your heavenly father, as your papa? Eh? Because religion will not want to call God papa or daddy or father. You know, some people say, in fact, some, some religious man will say, well, for me, I prefer to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Hmm? And so forth. Thinking that it is sufficient to be a servant. Because the religious mindset will miss the best things of it all. Glory to God. Religion will leave you confused about your identity. You know? Because God expects you to relate to him as a son, as a daughter, not as a servant. Glory to God. I said glory to God. And there are only two kinds of people in this world. They are either sons or orphans. You are either a son or you are an orphan. Either of these two. Nothing else. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Let me... Chapter 15. You know, when you, when you saw the, the, the story of the... place where they are doing some work. Are you following? So he went there and then he started feeding pigs. In fact, he got to the point that he started eating the pig's food. And then one day, the guy said to himself, they have enough food to eat. The servant, they have enough food to eat. Say, but me, I don't have, he said, and me, I'm struggling to eat pig's food. He says, it's better I go back to my father as a servant. And guess what? When, and the guy already had a prepared speech. He, speak, when I go, he, said, he said, when I go to my father, I talk to my father, Father, uh, you know, I know I've sinned against you. Don't worry. I'm not worried to be called your son. Just make me your servant. I will serve you in this house. Guess what? As the prodigal son, confidence come. Let me show you what happened. Oh, so come, come like somebody that you have sinned against me seriously. I know, you, know that, you know that shameful, um, come and stand here now, stand in this place. 
So you are coming here. I'm just standing here. You are coming here. Then I said, ah, ah, my son, welcome back. So he was not expecting this. So, you know, as, I was, as the father was hugging him, the father was just kissing him, kissing him, kissing him, and kissing him, and kissing him. Then he said, he said, father. He said, father, he said, daddy, uh, I know I've offended you. You know, please, just make me like, no, he said, don't, don't, don't talk that thing. He said, go and kick out, kick out, bring the best clothes. Where on my son? My son is back. My son is back. Now, I wanted to notice the statement that the father used. Drop down to verse 15. Drop down to verse 15. Drop down. And there's a word I want to look for. Aha. Uh-huh. He said, so he begged. Okay, no, drop. 16. I don't have time to read all this now. 17. Drop down. I want to show you the word that the father used. Next. 18. Next. You can read all this by yourself. You'll like it. Uh-huh. Look at where he was saying, Father, I've seen the against you. Next. Just keep going down. 19. Uh-huh. 20. Next verse. 21. Look at where the Father dressed him up. 22. Keep going down. Uh-huh. Next down. He said, he said I don't deserve to be called your son. The Father interrupted him and said, Son, you are home now. Glory to God. Next verse. 22. 22, 23. There's a word I want, to, I want to show you. 24, keep going. He said, go and find the best shoe. Bring, now, look at this. Everybody read one to go. Hold on. How did his son die? His son came back to him alive. So, how did his son... See, I want you to understand the language of God. Everybody read one to go. For this son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. He says, once he was lost, now he was found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Guess what? When this was going on, the elder brother came. He just said, boom, 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 bam, bam, bam. He said, what's happening in this house? He came and he found out that his father was celebrating this miscreant, this terrible boy. And then the Bible says that he became very angry. He said, Father, I've saved you. You see, servant mentality. I've saved you with all my life. You never threw party for me like this. Then the father said, Ah, son, everything I had was yours. The party was never, if you just ask me for a party, I'll have thrown party for you every day. You never asked. He says, My son, who was dead, now is alive. Because when you come to Christ, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Hallelujah. Bible says we were once dead in our trespasses and in our ceases, but now he has made us alive. So when you come to Christ, you come out of deadness into life. Glory to God. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. So now, what does it mean to be a servant of God? Because you know, when you read your Bible, you see people like Paul who called himself, I'm a servant of Christ, I'm a servant of God. So when somebody says, I'm a servant of God, what they mean is that they serve God. Do you understand? So, but do you ever stop to consider the audacity of that statement? When, when somebody say, I'm a servant of God, the question is, does God need servants? I want to ask you. Does God need servants? The creator of the universe does he need servants? He does not need... Listen, if God say, um, brother Paul, you come and take over and just stay... I, I want to go and sleep for one hour. Come and control the universe. 
In one minute, you will, <laughs> you will scatter everything. The one that suspends the universe, the earth, that controls everything, you can't, you, you can't manage it. God does not need servants. Tell your neighbor, God does not need servants. Because everything he already has what he needs. He doesn't need anybody to help him. God does not need helpers. He's helped by himself. That's who God is. So question then is, when I say I'm a servant of God, like Paul said, what do I mean exactly? I'll explain. So, you know, Paul, Paul says something like, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a servant of, of God, right? So what exactly do you mean? Now, this is what they mean. When Paul identifies himself as a servant of Christ, what he's saying is this, that I serve people in the name of Jesus. That's what he means. So, what he's really saying is this. Romans chapter 1 verse 9. Let me explain. When you say you are serving God, this is what it means to serve God. It is not what you are doing. You are not serving God. Because God does not need servants. You know, you know, God is the creator of the gospel. Hello, are you, are you following? God is the one that created the gospel. So, God does not need you to preach the gospel to him. So, you cannot serve God by preaching. You, you can't preach to God. <laughs> so, want to preach to God. But look at what Paul said. He says, God... Whom I serve in the spirit, in what? In preaching the gospel of his son. That's what it means to serve God. So serving God is preaching the gospel of his son. Because you cannot serve God by talking to God, but you can serve God by bringing more sons and daughters into his family. So when I preach the gospel of his son and I bring more people into his family, God is happy. God is happy. God is excited. Are you following what I'm telling you? So every Christian has a ministry. Say, I have a ministry. What is that ministry? It's called the ministry of reconciliation. That means bringing men back to the Father. That's how to serve God. Are you following what I'm telling you? So don't deceive yourself that I'm serving God. I'm serving God. I'm serving God by, um, by, washing, by washing this thing. Say, I'm serving God. You are not serving God. If you are not preaching the gospel of Christ, you are serving yourself, not God. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Because Paul said, whom I serve in the spirit in preaching the gospel of, of his son. So our job and responsibility is to preach the gospel of his son. God put you in that workplace to bring men to himself. He didn't put you there just to make money and leave that place. No. Every place that God put you is an influence of you to bring men to Christ. Glory to God. <clears throat> Glory to God. All right. Praise the Lord. So when it comes to preaching, so preaching the gospel is a service to God. And that's a neat way to define service because God does not need to hear the good news because God is the one that invented the good news. But when you preach the good news to men and to women, you are actually serving the Lord in spirit. Because God will get more sons and more daughters when you preach the gospel, when you serve God by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to men and to women. Glory to God. Stand to your feet this morning, wherever you are. <clears throat>